You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. And yes, I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'm excited today because we have a returning guest and a published author, Kent Schmidt, who is a litigation partner at Dorsey. Kent, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure to be back. It's been many years since I first was on your show. So All right. yes. great to be back. So it's talking about many years. Let's start with the question that I have for you, which is what's kept you at Dorsey for 25 years, Kent? Well, the short answer, and I know you like short answers. The short answer to that is, uh, is a great place to work. Um, I came to Dorsey um, at, at the launch of my career and uh, just passed the 25 year mark actually last week. So coincidentally, um, and uh, where I work and live is um, a perfect place. I always say California doesn't just have ocean breezes and palm trees uh, swaying in the in, in the breeze. It has the most litigation of any jurisdiction in the world. And uh, New York sometimes I think uh, tries to pass us up, but I, I doubt by almost any measure New York uh, even comes close. New York's a litigious form as well, but California is a very litigious place. And so I've been out here in California um, with Dorsey, essentially trying to put out fires for clients around the world. Um, one of the things about being at Dorsey is my practice has an international component to it because we have three offices in Asia, two offices in Canada and an office in London. And so I'm routinely called upon to assist clients in those jurisdictions, referrals from partners in those offices. And it makes the uh, the work very interesting. It's great to have clients also down the street, but uh, being exposed to different cultures and different business uh, models from around the world makes it makes it interesting. And sooner or later, if you do business around the world, you're probably going to get a suit in California. And so that's that's what um, keeps uh, keeps it interesting and uh, never a dull moment. No two cases are exactly alike. So I introduced you as litigation partner for Dorsey. I wonder if you could explain maybe a little bit, put a finer point on what is it exactly that you're doing in your role at Dorsey? Well, for the most part, my work in actual litigation, as I said, is quite varied. Um, it more on the defense side than the plaintiff side. I do represent plaintiffs from time to time. It's more for corporations and other business entities than it is for individuals, although from time to time, I will represent an individual as well. Uh, but for the most part, it is litigating cases, particularly in California, but also around the country uh, that arise from commercial disputes between parties um, or that arise from consumer claims that are brought by companies in class actions or similar consumer protection uh, context. So uh, it is a, a wide variety of cases. And, and as, uh, as happens with most people, my practice has evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. And you're a significant part of that, uh, Rick. I'll put you on the spot. Um, we interacted uh, about 10 years ago uh, regarding 
litigation risk when you ask me to speak to your roundtable group um, about ways to avoid litigation uh, being brought, so that what I call the unforced errors. And I did a series of presentations with you, and you were the one that first said to me, you know what you should do, Kent? You should write a book on litigation risk. My initial reaction was this, this isn't something that would be conducive to, to, to a whole book. And it seemed overwhelming, particularly with my busy practice. But you were uh, really the one that prompted me to start thinking about an outline. And I started that journey uh, in 2013. So, so about 10 years ago. Uh, and it sort of was on the back burner for many years. We got together for lunch from time to time and talked about uh, our writing projects, the, the book that you had underway as well. And you were a great encouragement to me. That book was finally published in 2021. No coincidence that it was published uh, months uh, into the lockdown. That would have never been finished. <laughs> it would have not been for being quarantined, the courts shutting down. Sure. And it's been pretty transformative to my practice. I still do all of the things I talked about earlier, but an increasing component of my practice is litigation risk advice and litigation management advice. It is issue spotting with clients, again, from around the world regarding the unforced errors, or as I like to say, the trap doors that they're standing on that on a moment's notice could um, put them into very significant and costly litigation. And not for all of the claims, but for many of these types of lawsuits, there are relatively easy fixes. There are provisions that can be inserted in contracts, um, limitations on liability or removing limitations on liability. If you're on the plaintiff side in a commercial agreement, there are terms and conditions on websites. There are advertising statements that are made which um, violate FTC rules and other consumer protection rules. There are um, assessments of products with respect to product liability risks. There are uh, things that people do innocently enough that create antitrust problems, anti-competitive conduct. Understanding what these risks are um, is not only a subject of my book, but it's increasingly a focus of my practice. And I find it's been very useful because that part of my practice informs the real live litigation, uh, which is about 70% of my practice and the real life litigation and the lessons that we learn inform the litigation risk advice. Um, and so it's a, it is a nice combination. It keeps it varied. And I'm really grateful that I've um, had the opportunity to start moving in that issue spotting um, advice context as well. It sounds like being proactive. It's the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, maybe in some Absolutely. ways. And it's, you know, it's pennies on the dollar, you know, spend a little bit of money with um, uh, someone who's issue spotting and maybe save you know, a, a significant amount of money in litigation fees down the road. Some people say, well, aren't you working against your own economic <laughs> best interest? And okay. I, I, I get the point, but I, I don't think that any amount of uh, my work is going to result in uh, the litigation work drying up. So. so you're a published author and you're also a podcaster now. So tell us a little bit about your newly launched podcast. 
Well, SharkCast is a podcast that is devoted to those same topics, but the issues that create litigation risk are so quickly evolving and fast moving that publishing something one year, it, some of it becomes obsolete or becomes dated. For example, I published this book in um, 2021. We weren't talking about AI in 2021. Mm. We were barely starting to talk about ESG. In 2021, we were all talking about COVID litigation, which is an interesting topic. Uh, but there are new and emerging uh, regulatory regimes in the US and around the world, and particularly in California. And so what I like to do is try to identify those and jump on um, uh, a, a podcast episode with colleagues or people from outside the firm, experts that I've used, people in business that um, are helpful in identifying and tackling these litigation risks and um, try to help readers and um, those listeners that um, would benefit from perhaps hearing something that's very, very current in addition to considering it in, in, in the written form. So SharkCast launched earlier this year. Um, we're nowhere near the uh, episode volume that you are. Um, you've been laboring at this for many, many years. So we are, we are nascent by, by comparison, but it's been a great experience and I've had an opportunity to interview a lot of my, my colleagues on these topics and, and I enjoy that exchange and, and, and interaction. So who would be a good audience or who should listen to SharkCast? Well, as with the book, the challenge is writing and speaking in a way that um, is useful not only to lawyers um, and has has hopefully enough content that the law that lawyers listening to it will will find it informative and useful and updating, but also accessible to someone who uh, doesn't have formal legal training. And so we try to tackle these types of issues like data privacy and um, uh, ESG issues and arbitration. Those are some of the recent episodes that we've had. And but yet do it in a way that uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, chief financial officers, those that are in the C-suite or that are just starting out in a new business can really understand, as well as those that are outside the U.S. and are, is not, are not as um, familiar with some of the legal uh, uh, processes that, that we in the U.S. are more familiar with. So that's a perfect opening for my next question, which I know you're working with international firms uh, and they're opening operations in the U.S. or entering this market. Tell me about the work that you're doing with those class of clients. Well, look, if, if litigation risks are a daunting challenge for U.S. companies that are read about litigation every day on on the front pages of, of, of newspapers and know have friends and colleagues who have been ensnared in costly litigation. It's even more daunting and challenging for those outside the U.S. So, for example, um, our, our friends, even just north of the border uh, in Canada, um, are very concerned about entering into the U.S. market, just crossing the border from Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal and starting to sell into the U.S. market because um, the there's obviously plenty of regulation in Canada, but their experience with litigation, particularly consumer class action litigation, 
is not nearly uh, what it is in the U.S. There's just so much more litigation, um, much more likelihood of being sued in a consumer class action, for example. And the same for companies around the world, um, whether it's from Asia or Europe or South America that are coming into the U.S., not even establishing an office necessarily or engaged in a merger or combination, but just sending product into the U.S., um, putting up an e-commerce website and starting to sell in product or services uh, to U.S. consumers, they're now faced with significant risk of um, a potential lawsuit. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I like to do is come alongside particularly law firms in those other jurisdictions who are very knowledgeable about the um, legal requirements for doing business and even the regulatory regimes that they operate in, for example, in the European Union, um, but are not yet in a position to advise their clients fully on litigation risk in the U.S. They know enough to know that this is a scary um, line to cross once you enter the U.S. market from a litigation risk standpoint. And so collaborating with those um, law firms is, um, I think, mutually beneficial. I learn a lot from them and um, hopefully I, I provide a benefit to them. And I just really enjoy it as well, just the different cultures and different ways of approaching things. It's, um, it's a significant part of my practice and I, I enjoy it expanding. So I think I know the answer to the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You've been doing this for 25 plus years. Your view of is is litigation more prominent now than when you started or has your book made such a dent on being proactive that it's not nearly what it was when you started your practice? No, but my book hasn't made a dent of any of significance into the number of litigation claims that are being filed. Um, it, the um, number of claims, the complexity of the claims, the number of even, I talked a lot about consumer class actions on this. That's a big area of risk. The number of small consumer class action firms out there that are just churning out demand letters, not even filing a lawsuit, just sending a pre-lawsuit demand letter saying your product is deceptive, your advertising is deceitful. Um, we're going to file a lawsuit within the next 10 days if uh, we can't reach a pre-lawsuit settlement. And that is on the rise. And it's, as we say, something old, something new. Sometimes it's just old garden variety consumer deception claims relating to slack fill, like how big a container is versus the product that you get in the container. And then there's a brand, there are brand new claims like, you know, uh, data privacy relating to um, software that's on websites and tracking of uh, surfing activity and AI and the, and the scraping of data. Those claims are brand new because they're just stem from, you know, emerging technologies. But the plaintiff's lawyers are on top of it. They were on top of it during COVID with the COVID class actions that were just just went through the roof. And they're on top of every single new social or technological phenomenon that we face. So you mentioned earlier when you wrote the book, ESG wasn't a focus and AI wasn't necessarily a focus and the book came out not that long ago. Can you share with our audience a little bit more about what you're seeing in those two areas as far as litigation? 
Well, particularly uh, in AI, I would say the two greatest litigation risks are in IP and infringement um, context, as well as in uh, consumer data privacy. Um, the AI uh, can be understood in a number of different ways, but one way to think of it is it is a exponential growth in the data and the uses of data, and it creates questions as to where the data came from and um, what are the privacy rights that are attached to the data and are the beneficiaries of the data charged with um, essentially the equivalency of receiving stolen property. If the data was mm -hmm. purloined or was a result of a data breach or came from the dark web, um, is there some claim that can be brought against those that are receiving the data even if what they're doing seems very benign and, and, and innocent. So that's a whole area. And then, of course, copyright infringement with the manipulation of data and information that becomes indistinguishable from the original work, but yet is still derivative of that huge wow. area of litigation. Right. ESG is um, continuing to evolve. It's too, too big of a topic to tackle in a sentence or two, but I will say that litigation related to greenwashing um, or products uh, or services that have a claim relating to their ecological benefits or minimizing the carbon footprint or the materials, the recyclability of the materials. Um, that's a growing area of litigation because what you have are companies that are adapting to consumers' demands and expectations and to other um motivations that, that that push companies in this direction but then the question comes uh are these claims that are being added to products and services um relating to carbon footprint or the sourcing of products are they valid are they or are they deceptive to consumers so um that's just one small slice of the esg pie um it's a it's a growing area so we'll continue to see all those types of claims yeah, that's that's a new frontier, isn't it? Because I can see how the marketing department would want to align themselves with consumer preferences, but the business has to make sure they can stand behind the claims is what I hear you saying. And Absolutely. Like any other uh, claim that's made to consumers. Right. Wow. Powerful. So you're it's never a dull moment being a litigator, is it in your life there at Dorsey? I'm wondering, what do you see as the future of your practice? What's next for you? Well, um, I'm very reflective right now, having passed this 25 year mark. Um, I am uh, thinking about the last decade and a half or maybe two decades, depending on how much fun I have. Um, <laughs> it, I'm, uh, I'm envisioning that this litigation advice work and trying to, um, if this doesn't sound too pretentious, be a thought leader, um, right. will, will continue to grow. I still, however, like to roll up my sleeves and uh, get in the courtroom and take key depositions and um and i have a, a many more trials in me i'm sure um but you know once you get into your 60s i don't know uh for sure but i'm guessing that hauling uh bankers boxes of uh exhibits up the courthouse steps when i'm 65 might not be quite as invigorating as when i was 25. Mm -hmm. um so um i may see in the next 10 or 15 years my actual litigation work start to wind down and just do more speaking and writing on litigation risk. And I'm sure 
you know, 10 years from now, we'll be talking about litigation risks that we can't even begin to imagine and get our arms around. So it's, it is exciting. And uh, as you say, never a dull moment. It's a, it's an evolving landscape. Well, I really appreciate you coming back on the show and sharing your journey. It's great to see you again here on the show. I'm so happy for you and the success you're having with your book. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with our audience. If someone would like to learn more about your book or connect with you or Dorsey, where do you say they go, Ken? Well, I um, have all of this information at a website that's easy to remember. Remember, it's litigation risks with an S because there are multiple risks litigationrisks.com. Um, the uh, SharkCast episodes are there, how to order the book and contact information for me. One-stop shopping. I like it. Make it easy for people to get get all your IP. That's fantastic. Well, again, thank my- you again, Rick, I, I got to say one more time, you know, it's amazing how one conversation, one thought, you know, coming from someone like you can change the trajectory of someone's career in life. And it's been 10 years and here we are. So, Thanks for encouraging me to write the book. I I really feel like I I owe a debt of gratitude to you. Well, thank you for saying that. I I appreciate it. I'm I'm happy to be a positive influence for you, my friend. And and I look forward to getting together with you and catching up offline. So we'll do that after the show is over. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Rick. And I'd like to thank the audience. You're a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Kent's episode now becomes a part of our catalog. As he mentioned earlier, we have over 1,400 interviews. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you have a story to tell, then reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. Coincidentally, that's also my company's website, rickfranzi.com. And so if you reach out to us, Haley and I will be happy to talk with you and see if it's appropriate to have you on a future episode. And until we have a chance to be together again, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.